You're listening to InfoTrack. To learn more about our guests or listen to past shows, visit InfoTrack online at InfoTrackRadio.com. Millions of Americans suffer from it. It often begins in youth. The problem can occur gradually, but many will not admit they need help with it. Here to explain, InfoTrack's Gina Tedesco. Gina? Thanks, Chris. The National Center for Health Statistics estimates that 37 million Americans have some problem with their hearing, but there are scientific and legal advances that we should all know about. Joining me now is David Owen, staff writer for The New Yorker, who is just out with a new book called Volume Control, Hearing in a Deafening World. David, first off, how's your hearing? My hearing's not too bad. I have this problem that millions of people have, which is called tinnitus. It's a ringing, a kind of phantom sound in my ears all the time, a high-pitched ringing. And I'm usually able to ignore it. It's hard to ignore it when I'm thinking about it, as I am right now. But it's a common problem, and it's almost always associated with some degree of hearing loss. Now, you write that people who are hard of hearing die younger on average than people who can hear well. Why is that? There are a lot of reasons. It's associated with things like heart disease, diabetes, low birth weight. Exposure to loud sounds creates stress. And as the hearing difficulties become more severe, people who have suffered hearing loss tend to become socially isolated. Hearing loss is associated with cognitive decline. The idea is is that as you withdraw from other people, you cease to receive the kind of stimulation that you did from contact with other human beings. There are also some practical concerns. For example, if a fire alarm is a loud blaring noise and you can't hear it, you could be in big trouble. Oh, sure. If you can't hear that your car is still running and you leave it running in your garage and you go upstairs and the house fills with carbon monoxide, hearing is incredibly important and we tend to take it for granted. You know, I think back over my youth, I'm 64 years old now. You know, I mowed lawns, I used power tools, I fired guns at summer camp. My friends and I threw firecrackers at each other. We never gave a thought to our ears. Some of the population that suffers the most from hearing loss tend to be veterans. Hearing loss and tinnitus are the number one and number two most common service-related health claims made by veterans. The Veterans Administration is the largest single purchaser of hearing aids in the United States. And that's an interesting point because you've said that grown-ups often assume that teenagers listening to loud music through earbuds are the most at risk of losing their hearing, but that's just not true, as you're saying. Yeah, everybody's at risk. I think modern life is loud. And young people tend to think, oh, well, deafness is a problem for old people. And it is, but it's a problem that begins in youth. It's cumulative. It begins when you're young. Often, you know, I think of the rock concerts I went to. I went to more than when I was in my teens and 20s than I do now. And that has a lifelong impact. I think people also tend to think, oh, well, you know, I'll scrub my ears and then I'll get hearing aids. Hearing aids are great. People who need them, they're fantastic. People wait too long to get them when they need them. But they don't make up for hearing that's been completely lost. You know, if you have bad eyesight, if you have myopia, you get a pair of glasses and you put them on, you see perfectly. With hearing, if you've lost the ability to detect certain frequency ranges, nothing gives that back. It's an infrastructure problem inside your head and there's no workaround for it. So let's turn to the changes. Is there anything new in the laws protecting workers on the job from loud noises that would damage their hearing? 
The laws have been around for a long time. They date back to the 1970s, and they're better than nothing, but they're not complete. Even at the time, they weren't sufficient to protect all covered workers from job-related hearing loss. And now, I think the understanding of how hearing loss works has evolved to the point where it's understood that many more of those workers are at risk. And then there are all the jobs that are not covered by federal law, you know, people who mow lawns, carpenters, people who work on oil rigs. They're not covered industries. The guy mowing your lawn is more likely to be wearing hearing protection now than he was 10 years ago, but there's still a lot of unprotected people. You say the biggest technological advance for improving hearing is a cochlear implant. What is that and how does it differ from a hearing aid? In people who've lost all their hearing or have essentially no hearing in an ear, it's this really remarkable prosthesis that bypasses the existing middle ear and inner ear. It feeds a wire into the inner ear and then feeds electrical signals directly to the nerves that communicate with the auditory centers of the brain. You can go on YouTube and see the heartwarming videos of people having their cochlear implants turned on. The actual effect is somewhat different. It's not like hearing the way a person with normal hearing hears. It's a much less rich input, but still, it's been a transformative innovation for people who need it. At the Mass Eye and Ear Hearing Center in Boston, Massachusetts, I talked with a woman who had she had a brand new cochlear implant on one side and she had a hearing aid on the other side, and I never would have known if I hadn't known that she had a hearing problem at all because we carried on what seemed to me like a perfectly normal conversation. To her, our conversation, she described as like Alvin and the Chipmunks sometimes or like a very computery kind of sound or like extremely scratchy, poorly received AM radio. But still, we were able to talk. We're visiting with David Owen, staff writer for The New Yorker, who's just out with a book called Volume Control, Hearing in a Deafening World. Now, you've said that hearing aids are improving and becoming more versatile, and the decades-old laws and business practices that made them less affordable are changing. Can you give us one example? Anybody who has them knows how expensive they are, but you can now, beginning now to buy devices that are essentially hearing aids, whether they're called them or not. I have a pair of Bose headphones called Hearphones. They have the same kind of processor that hearing aids do. They're a fraction of the cost. They cost $500. They have better fidelity than hearing aids do. They're bigger. They have a more robust version of Bluetooth. The only downside is that unlike hearing aids, they've not been optimized for invisibility. I have to be willing for everybody to be able to see them in order to use them. And in a restaurant where hearing is challenged, even for people who have pretty good hearing, they're great. You know, they make it possible to focus in on a speaker to to silence some of the background sound, and I love them. You were talking about the cost just a second ago. If people think they can't afford a visit to a medical professional to get the hearing aids, they need to know that's all changed now, right? It's changing. It hasn't all changed yet. But I think there's some low-cost opportunities. At Mass Eye and Ear now, all inpatients who don't have hearing aids but need them are provided with an inexpensive device, less than $100, that makes it possible for them to hear their doctor. The hospital decided that one of the reasons that people aren't very good at doing what they're supposed to, what their doctors tell them, is that they simply didn't hear it. And the doctors have been trained, too, to make sure that they've turned off the TV, that the patient has the device in, that they're looking at each other and paying attention. So, you know, I got a pair of these for my mother. It's called Super Ear. They cost 75 or $80. And, you know, she's hesitant to wear them in public, but they gave her a taste of what hearing aids would do for her if she decided to get them. 
And there are apps for smartphones for helping people hear. Can you pick one and tell us about it? There's one called Ear Machine. It's free if you search for Ear Machine. It actually was invented by the people who invented the software for earphones. It doesn't have noise cancellation, but it lets you use your phone as the microphone for a hearing device. It needs wired headphones. The reason is that with Bluetooth, there's a lag. It takes time to process an audio signal. So there's a lag between, for example, when the person sitting across from you speaks and when you hear it, and it can drive people crazy to see voice and lips not sync together. So you need wired headphones, but it's free. You can see what hearing aids can do for you, and you can adjust it yourself, which is something that typically cannot be done with conventional hearing aids. Finally, what is the latest on efforts to treat people, particularly children, with hearing loss due to a genetic defect? The scientists that I've talked to, there are lots of scientists working on reversing hearing loss. The widespread belief is that there will be treatments, effective treatments for some kinds of genetic hearing loss before there are for the kind of hearing loss caused by exposure to loud sounds. And the reason is that it's easier to turn on or turn off an individual gene than it is to reconfigure this incredibly complex yet also incredibly tiny auditory infrastructure inside our heads. But all the, you know, sort of the miracle cures are still years away. Nevertheless, there are serious people all over the country, all over the world, working very hard to come up with solutions, full solutions, to people with hearing problems. And more to come. David Owen, author of Volume Control, Hearing in a Deafening World. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you. For InfoTrack, I'm Gina Tedesco. You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks of Chicago.